Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes pioneering expert on empaths, Wendy DeRosa. And the two of them will be chatting about her newest book, Becoming an Empowered Empath. So tune in and learn all about how to clear energy, set boundaries, and embody your intuition. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and podcast one if you like listening to podcasts versus the live radio. Uh, So quick disclaimer for KPCA that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteer staff, or underwriters. And as housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Benny, what's the latest in Seattle? Uh, Not too much, really kind of par for the course. Uh, I was actually going to double back and ask you, have you picked up any more critters on your uh, recent, (laughs) you know, uh, drive? Uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> adventures, I should say. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, just as a quick update, I know we're between first Friday shows, so um, we'll get the full update next time. Uh, okay. Next month, okay. But, but no, no, no. I, I've got to tell you like where we are. So I think I joined you from Fredericksburg last week. Yes. At your parents' house and mm-hmm. we are currently in Austin. Um, this will be our longest stop. Mm so far perhaps for the whole trip because we have so many friends and family here um, in this area um, primarily in Austin and so I am planted for about 10 days I'm coming to you from a friend's little guest house Um, and so yeah we're just enjoying seeing everyone but we are actually in the city now so there aren't as many critters around but I did I did um, have this fun experience of it reminded me so much of growing up in East Texas, where during springtime mm-hmm. in the early morning, you would often find box turtles or turtles of some sort, tortoises, what? turtles crossing the road. And so I was in Fredericksburg last week. And of course, there was this cute little box turtle trotting down the highway. So <laughs> there are a lot of big trucks in that area. So I always like to assist them get to the direction they're headed so they don't get That's going to take you way. forever to get to where you're going if you're going to try <laughs> to move them aside, all of them. <laughs> Well, fortunately, you have a good heart. Like, see, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the first one I've seen in like 15 or 20 years, Benny. It's oh, okay. funny. I mean, my parents and I used to find them all the time on the way to school because I lived outside of town and they'd have to drive me 30 minutes into town to school and everything. So anyway, it was a fun memory from childhood. So if you that's on Facebook, I have a little picture of the cute little box. That's super that cool. <laughs> that's super cool. And I just was going to mention if you ever are, are traveling to Houston, maybe not. I don't know your uh your your itinerary, but uh, there's a there's a tiger on the loose there. So just don't pick that up, okay? I actually do have two very dear girlfriends in the Houston area, and but I mean honestly, Benny, it is getting so hot, and I have not been in this humidity or this heat in so long, and it's not even we're not even triple digits yet, but it's just. 
I'm like, Chase, we may need to head back toward the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, hey, and then try open to arms, in the o- fall. open <laughs> arms, open arms. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm glad to hear things yeah. are going well up there, Vinny. And yep. um, yeah, I guess we'll bring on our, our guest for today, who I'm very excited to speak with. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, awesome. So we've got joining us today, Wendy DeRosa. She is the author of Becoming an Empowered Empath. She's the founder of the School of Intuitive Studies, and she has been helping people develop intuition and experience personal transformation for over two decades. Wendy is a popular faculty member at the Shift Network, which I just have to put in a little plug. That is actually located in Petaluma, California, by the way. Um, Shift does a lot of great work out there, and they were, (laughs) interestingly enough, in the small town where I lived for the past two years. Okay, so yes, she's a popular faculty member at the Shift Network and has filmed two programs for Mind Valley Spiritual Growth Channel. She lives in Longmont, Colorado. Um, you can find out more about her and her uh, work as an intuitive and her teaching as an intuitive uh, development teacher at schoolofintuitivestudies.com. That is www.schoolofintuitivestudies.com. Wendy, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Oh, thank you so much, Sunny, for having me. Absolutely. Um, I was telling you before we went on air, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of interviewing a few folks who also teach intuitive development, who are specialized in helping empaths navigate, um, you know, the world and everything. And so I don't, I'm not, it's definitely not my main wheelhouse and I'm no expert in it, but I know enough, um, I think, you know, mainstream knowledge about it. And I have to say, in coming across your book or reading your book, there was so much new information um, that I was not aware of, particularly you bringing in the chakra system, specifically the lower three chakras and how important those are for empaths and, and really strengthening our intuition. I just, I have to say like you, the information you offer in this book um, for anyone out there, including myself who, you know, you think, you know, empath stuff, this is a whole new level of information. Absolutely. Yeah, this is definitely a um, an understanding of why we are empathic and taking on the energy and how, it's how to, you know, strengthen our boundaries, but also understanding how intuition plays a part for empaths and, you know, the chakra system specifically. Yeah, so I really appreciate um, what you're bringing to the table here and really excited to share with our audience today. Um, But I wanted to, I was mentioning before we got on air, I wanted to start with the foreword of the book, which was written by Gabby Bernstein. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with Gabby. Um, I think her most recent work or book was The Universe Has Your Back. And um, she's a very well-known spiritual teacher out there um, based on, I think she's been a teacher of A Course in Miracles for many years, or at least that's very heavily influenced her work. So in any event, it sounds like um, you met Gabby when you all were both teachers of different courses at Kripalu Yoga Center up in Massachusetts. And so in the foreword, Gabby talks about how she was leading a workshop there and she was struggling a little bit. um, And and she ran into you or saw you seated in the dining room and was just immediately drawn to you. And then you ended up becoming a bit of a teacher and a mentor to her. And, And as she writes it, Wendy is precisely the spiritual mentor I would pray for everyone out there to find. And so I'm curious from hearing the foreword, you know, we hear Gabby's perspective, but I would love to hear that story from your perspective and how that went down. 
Yeah. So we were, we were both teaching at Kripalu and she had an event and I had an event. They were both week long events. And so we met in the, there was a um, little teacher lounge where we would go and have, you know, the, the, te- the facilitators teaching and because there were multiple classes going on through the week. Um, and we would go in and we'd see each other in the morning, you know, more breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> we'd yeah. see each other in our meals. And we just strike, you know, started talking and it just felt like it was an, an evolved conversation. Every time we had a meal, you know, we're like, well, well, I'll see you at lunchtime. And we pick up where we left off and, you know, different pieces. We met, you know, got to see each other's children and, you know, it was just a really, wonderful connection that particular week of um, just going, you know, really having these depth conversations Mm -hmm. about, you know, energy and, you know, picking up energy of others and facilitating and, and trauma too, and the nervous system. And uh, anyway, we went down, we went, we, it was, we were, we had a lot to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it sounds like you really helped her navigate how to use her um, empathic and intuitive gifts, but in a way that was more approachable and not necessarily, um, you know, where she feels like she's taking on all the energy of others or really being carried by the energy of the room. Yeah, definitely. And certainly in the, the facilitating role, I think it's hard for teachers, people getting up there to teach you know, and, and really needing particular tools and boundaries and things to work with. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that story. I was curious about that when I read the foreword. Um, so let's talk, I think many folks out there may be familiar with the term empath, but I think for our purposes today, how do you define empath? What do we need to know about the word before we begin really diving into the book? Yeah. So an empath is someone who feels the energy of other people through their sentient body. And that includes emotions of others, energy, you know, of others, um, maybe in inter in, in relationships, but it also means energy in a space and energy in the collective that we might be feeling. So it's the felt sense of, uh, feeling, sensing energy. And how might one know if they are an empath, some of the ways you might recognize that in one's day-to-day life? So some people will say, I I was having a conversation with someone and I walked away feeling terrible and they walked away feeling great. (laughs) And I feel like I took on all their stuff. That's a common one. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people will experience just energetic overwhelm completely in life in general, and maybe certainly with the news and everything going on in the world. Um, Some people will experience that energetic overwhelm to a degree of stomach aches, migraines, digestive issues, anxiety, and just not really having much of a sense of separation or boundaries between self and other. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things you talk about in the book, and the reason I want to point this out is because it has come up. Well, I know that, that I have a history of this in my life. I think I'm getting better about it, but you articulated in a way that really hit home for me. And I was actually talking about this in a women's group recently. I have this come up with clients, but that particularly, I don't want to stereotype gender wise, but I think most of my clients are female, I identify as female, um, that we have a tendency when 
a person in our life, and I'm thinking specifically of family or like a spouse um, or significant other, when they are kind of thrashing around in their own emotional torment or have just not happy, um, we end up tap dancing to try to, we can, we're kind of hyper vigilant about, okay, what are they feeling? Let me make it better. Let me take it on. Let me um, do something to fix it as opposed to having a good emotional boundary such that we can be with someone while they are having their own emotional experience and not try to fix it or take it on. Does that, is, is yeah. that how you would describe it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So much of it to, I mean, in the energetic body, I'm going to talk about the chakras, but the empathic power center of the body is the second chakra, which is mm-hmm. our lower power center. It's our, it's our, it's in the pelvis and it's our, it's our ability to feel the subtle and our emotions and our intuition and vulnerability and such. And, and it's also the, it's the feminine power center of the mm-hmm. body, no matter the gender. And so what happens for so many empaths and people really when we've grown up in environments where we were told that our emotions are not okay, that we, you know, people are, um, our emotions have been shamed, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't cry. It's not okay to have anger. We're punished if we're angry. And then at the same time, when there's a lot of people around us projecting their emotions, you know, having big feelings and, and, you know, as children, we're experiencing this. Well, what the pattern that ends up developing for empaths is that they do become peacekeepers people pleasers, they become sort of mothers at a very young age, meaning over mothering or over parenting energy, they might just become overly responsible, because their survival depends on it. It's like, I have to do this, because otherwise, I don't know how to stay safe in this environment until I unless I take it all in and keep the peace outside of myself. And that that becomes a pattern that repeats itself through life. Uh, for empaths. Yes. And you give so many great examples in the book of how this plays out. Um, yeah. So before I, I know you just started mentioning some of the lower chakras and I, that again was some of the most fascinating material in the book for me is how that, how the, the interplay between our chakras and, and being a highly sensitive person or empath. Um, yeah. So l- let me just ask back up a little bit because your own story was really fascinating to me. Um, and I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit about your own story, particularly the part about the ukulele player you encountered at a, at a pivotal time in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I was the old, oldest girl of, I am the oldest uh, girl in a family of eight children growing up. And mm-hmm. um, it had me in a in a responsibility role as a sensitive being, very, very young. Um, What I know now, which I didn't have language for back then, was that I was very intuitive and I could see, hear, feel, and know energetically or intuitively. Um, All that meant to a a child growing up is that I was incredibly open, oversensitive, and very impressionable. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that quality ended up. I developed weight as an as a child. I gained a lot of weight starting at six years old. I um, started to develop depression and anxiety, um, and the anxiety continued through the majority of my adolescent years. And um, I would also we had a lot of financial troubles as, as children and as family. Um, 
so I went to school, I went to work, excuse me, at 12 years old. So I would babysit and, um, you know, I'd go from school to babysitting to doing my homework at night to going to sleep and waking up and doing it again. And then when I later, I got a job at a bakery. So I was working on weekends. So I just worked the entire, my entire youth basically. And by the time I was 19 years old, um, I had a nervous breakdown and, and there was so much pressure I was dealing with and over responsibility and over sent over sense sensory, really just being, um, just um, so much that I've just picked up through my life and through the years and no way of processing it. And so I had this breakdown in my third semester in college and I was trying to decide if I should leave because I felt really debilitated and, you know, you forfeit, you forfeit tuition, you know, for the, yeah. you leave mid semester. So it was kind of a big decision at the moment. So I was walking with my, I was in Boston and I was walking with my roommate after this breakdown and I was heading down Massachusetts Avenue towards Newberry street at the time. And there used to be a tower records on the corner. Mm. And I took a left going down Newberry street. And right there was this man carrying a ukulele and he was wearing a red jacket and he had a glow around his head. Um, but I didn't see that right away. And the moment my roommate and I were in this discussion about whether I should move to Colorado and um, my heart was called to it. It was pre Facebook and social media. So I had nothing but magazines to go by, <laughs> you know, I knew nothing of it. And so I just felt this call that it was my next step. And so, um, so when I saw him, I just, you know, he looked like a street performer playing music and he said, can I sing you a song for some spare change? And my roommate and I were engaged in conversation. He said, no, I, I said, no, no, thank, no, thank you. And he said, no, Wendy, you need to hear a song. <laughs> And he calls me by name and he says, my name is Arius and I'm going to sing you a song. Mm -hmm. And so he sings this song. He gets down on one knee and he sings this song, Home on the Range where the Buffalo Roam. One day you're going to get to Colorado. Mm -hmm. So he, he was nowhere near this conversation. I mean, we were talking all the way down Mass Avenue before we even got to Newberry Street. And he says, he says, Wendy, it's not your time to go yet. You're going to get there. And he gives me a kiss on the cheek and he vanishes. He just darts off behind us. And literally my roommate and I look at each other and look back and he, he was gone. He was completely gone. And in that moment, I had had what I call now, again, I didn't have language back then for this, but I called it, I call it a transmission healing. Mm. I mean, my anxiety was gone. I had I felt an upliftment. There was a healing that transpired divinely on the street in Boston yeah. after this interaction yes. with this, this angel. And, and there's another piece to the story, which is that um, my mom was very, she's very, she is very Catholic and very, um, you know, goes to church every day, kind of Catholic. And, mm -hmm. you know, she had eight kids. And so she, she bought, took out a book one day and it, what, 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 what happened was after this incident, I'm telling this story at a book signing years later, 10 years later for one of my other books. And I said, mom, do you remember this? Do you remember when I called you and told you about this? And she said, yes. And what I remember is I got this book 
out of a bookstore and it was about how to be with your children when you couldn't be with them. And it was a book about praying to certain angels. And my mom said, I picked the angel Arius because I knew he could reach you through song. Oh my God. I mean, you share like a piece of that in the book, but that is such a beautiful element to the story. Yeah. I know it was incredible. And I, I didn't even know that part of it for 10 years after wow. Yeah. Mm. That's gosh. I just, I'm, I brings tears to my eyes and I can't get enough of stories like that. So thank you for sharing that. I hope it's this is inspiring for everyone else out there as it was for me to hear for others out there who may be struggling on their path, that there are those angels around us. Oh, mm-hmm. if we let them sing for us, so to speak. So Oh, so how Wendy then, so now you have this, you had some guidance there, you received that transmission and that healing. um, And you, you ultimately answered the call to become an intuitive healer and did a lot of your own healing of the wounds that you talk about in the book. And so can you just bring us up to speed, you know, what that looked like and how you got to be where we are sitting here chatting today? Yeah, you know, I, I it, not having much of a childhood, I, you know, I spent a lot of my 20s learning the, about my gift as an intuitive, but also healing a lot of my, you know, my, my pain that I, I was living with and experiencing. And I really had no interest in being a healer. It was not... <laughs> I was pursuing, I was a musician and I was a singer songwriter and I toured around as a singer songwriter and I wanted to be a rock star. I did not want to be a healer, but I I lived in Austin, actually. It's funny you're there. Um, (laughs) But the, um, the part that what happened was I, I had a gift and I, once I had that divine intervention on the street, my guidance opened up. Mm. I really was connecting to angels and I was hearing information and I was being called into this ability to, to show up and, and, and trust this, what I've been given and help people. And so I started to do sessions and I just continued to do sessions. And again, social media didn't exist back then. So it was word of mouth. And by the time I was 30, I had over 500 clients from word of mouth. And then people wanted to learn how to do what I do. And so I started teaching classes and programs. And then I started the school of intuitive studies. And that's today what continues is I um, train healers and train people in intuitive development and you know, all different books and programs and all, all different, you know, ways of doing that. Yes. Yes. And that, I know I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but I'll just say, since you mentioned the school of intuitive studies, the website for that is school of intuitive studies.com. Um, Awesome. So let's dive in a little bit. And I'm also, I'm just looking at the time we've been skipping our breaks lately, just so we have more conversation time. Are you okay with that, Wendy? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, Okay. So one of the things, as I mentioned, that was most fascinating to me was how important the the chakra system is, particularly the lower three chakras, when we are talking about empaths. Can you just give us the, like, why is that? Why is that so important? Absolutely. So keep in mind, we don't, talk about the energetic anatomy in school. That's not something we're trained in. We learn about the physical anatomy. We learn about the nervous system, perhaps, you know, as we move through school, but our education system, but the energetic anatomy underlays the nervous system. So it has a lot to do with 
the power that we come into this world with and the information our soul carries into this human experience, but also kind of our innate soul um, power and the wounds that we might also hold in our body. Mm -hmm. A lot of that influences our nervous system and also our physical, you know, physical experience in life. And so back down to the, to the chakra system, it's a part of our energetic anatomy. And I talk about the seven embodied chakras or spinal chakras, I should say one is at the crown of the head. And these are the power centers inside us that carry information about how we are going to exist in the world. And at the root chakra area of the body, this is what's important for empaths, is that we are sensitive beings and we're raised often in environments that we are sometimes in environments that might not necessarily support a full sense of safety and security in ourselves. Our root chakra at the base of our body is our power center for, that develops our consciousness or our hardwiring and our conditioning from the years zero to seven years old. That includes in utero. So the M empaths are the the empathic quality is in everybody really truly i mean it, it's the first sense that develops in the womb we feel what's going on even before our eyes are developed and our ears are developed we feel through the sentient experience um and when we're born into our family of origin we develop our bonding and our attachment and our sense of safety and security in that family system, which is reinforced by the greater system that we might also be raised in, depending, it could be a cultural system, it could be a, a you know, country, it can be anything. I mean, any type of system that we're raised in. Mm -hmm. Well, the root chakra is this power center where in our in its innate power it is safety security grounding you know our sense of self and trust in ourselves and it's seen as this sort of this little four petaled flower or a glowing light in that area well if we've been raised in environments where safety was compromised on some level such as there was yelling and screaming there was alcoholism there was trauma there was something going on abandonment something going on in the family marinade that didn't give you know this sensitive soul the inherent feeling that who i am is okay and i am safe in this in this experience then the root chakra contracts it closes down and it does so because it's absorbing fear-based consciousness. Essentially it's, we're becoming hardwired in its, in protection mechanisms. So it, it contracts, we might go into fight, flight, or freeze sometimes, but it's ultimately what it's doing is it's preserving our soul and our soul moves up a little higher in the body and we disconnect from this power center and we can go through our whole life living higher up in our body most most people do most of us do because it's preserving we're not taught to come back down into the body and embody that's work we have to do it's not default 
So what happens for empaths is that this root chakra contracts and then the second chakra, the, the power center right above it, this, the part of us that's, that feels the subtle, like feels beneath the table, mm-hmm. everything that's going on, particularly around emotions, that power center blows open. And what it's doing is that it's starting to read the energy around us on that sort of emotional temperature level in order for us to find a sense of safety because the root chakra isn't doing its job. It's closed. So now the second chakra is doing it. And so that pattern right there, root chakra contraction into second chakra opening is what we call hypervigilance. Mm. And, and that's where we start to feel, you know, the, the so mom feels this way, dad feels this way, I better adjust my behavior, or, you know, keep the peace somehow, and we disconnect from our own needs, our own emotional needs, and our own emotions, we start to prioritize managing other people's emotions on this deep, subtle level. And that is the profile that empaths experience over and over again in their life. It's a pattern that replays itself essentially. Yes. And so then at that point, when you're talking about, we went from the root chakra and what happens when that is contracted and then going up to the sacral chakra that blows open and then we become hypervigilant, where does that solar plexus chakra come into play in this conversation? Yeah, so it, it 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 will often mirror what the second chakra does, the sacral mm-hmm. chakra. So the job of the solar plexus third chakra is that it is, you know, it's like our our instinctual brain. It it helps us navigate instinctually our environment so that we know how to identify with who we are in this in you know in in the social construct. So if you think about this in, um, let's say we'll put it in like middle school terms, because it is, it is those pubescent developing years is where this, the, the sort of the programming develops here. But um, we think about, you know, middle school, you have your different, at least when I was in school, you have the, the different like little sub subgroups, you know, you have uh-huh. your sports people and your theater people and your, you know, the popular people, there's little groups. I mean, that these are ways that we identify, we, we find our identity and we, um, we learn how to, how to live in the world. Now, later in life, part of this, this solar plexus job is to manifest our true self into the world. Mm. In the meantime, we are instinctually navigating. And so what will happen in this power centers when the root chakra is contracted, we are not, there's no flow going down through the grounding cord. I didn't mention the grounding cord, but it's this pipeline, this connection to the center of the earth that keeps our soul grounded in our body. Mm. Well, if the root chakra is contracted, the grounding cord is not really intact. And so what happens is the solar plexus then blows open and we start to cord out through our gut to attachments outside of ourselves, again, in order to find a sense of safety and security, because the root chakra isn't exactly doing that in that moment because it's contracted. 
So those outer senses of safety and, and security could be a job or it can be a house or it can be this group of people or this loved one, but it's attachment outside of us. It's security outside of us. So oftentimes empaths will have this really open third chakra and a lot of energy going out and a lot of energy coming in. And this is where the digestive issues come in because the, the third chakra manages not just digestion of food, but digestion of life. Mm -hmm. And if we have too much coming in through the gut on that energetic level, then, you know, the gut shuts down or it becomes imbalanced in some way. Yes. Oh, this is so fascinating. And I have to, I want to return to one thing real quick. This is kind of a, a um, well, you'd said earlier when we're talking about the root chakra, um, and this is from the book, that much of the energy held in the root chakra is part of your hardwiring formed from the time you're in utero until the age of seven. And I'm curious because uh, many moons ago, I learned from Dr. Bruce Lipton that um, between ages in utero through seven, our brain is in a very slow brainwave state, either delta, I think, when we're babies or theta when we get a little bit older. But either way, we're like a tape recorder where you press record and it just picks up everything. And that's kind of becomes your subconscious programming for better or for worse. Are those two tied together or what's the magic about age seven? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is. And it does have to do with brain development, nervous uh -huh. system development. The root chakra specifically governs the physical body oh. and the physical experience. So it would include the brain, brain chemistry and keeping in mind, and I'm sort of adding on here to what you're sharing about what Bruce Lipton shared, which is that we, we, what we marinate in and our experience of it, we internalize and we develop belief systems about ourselves accordingly. So if something doesn't feel right or good, then a child will internalize that as I must not be good. Mm. If this isn't okay, I must not be okay. We will internalize that and create, and that become, that feeds into in insecurity. On the flip side, if it's, you know, a loving, nurturing bond, then we develop, you know, a healthy relationship of safety and security to ourselves. So then if I'm sure there are people who are hearing this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, that was my exact situation. Everything that she's saying about the root chakra closing down and the second and third ones blowing open and putting my attachment outside of myself for safety, all of those things. And I know you go into this in great detail in the book, but just for our purposes today, if someone is feeling like, oh my gosh, this feels hopeless now, what do I do? <laughs> what do people need to know just on a most basic level about how to um, heal those issues within themselves and their energy body and chakra system? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I certainly walk through it uh, in the book, providing an understanding and also guided meditations to take people into these areas of the body to shift and clear the energy. Um, we can't go in through the frontal lobe of the brain. We have to go in through the deeper meditative subconscious state to go into these places. But essentially part of it is allowing, for example, sometimes it's not about that I need to clear all this energy in my body or I need to heal every single um you know, past experience, sometimes in, in, in the chakra system, from a chakra system perspective, just starting with 
the awareness that I'm unfurling my root chakra and I'm breathing into feeling safe and secure in my body and in myself, despite my history or what was, you know, given to me in terms of, you know, subconscious teachings, I am willing to, in my body right now, take deep breaths and settle in and let my root chakra unfurl and say to myself, I am safe. I'm safe in my body. That practice alone brings the second chakra into balance. We're not um, um, overly empathic. We're not leaking out the front. It brings our solar plexus back into balance so we can feel our center. There's so much power in just grounding and unfurling the root chakra. In a, in, that's the simple answer. And then Yes, we can go into the deeper healing pieces, which I talk about in the book. And the part about the the root chakra unfurling, I love that. And one of the other things that you just mentioned that was another piece of brand new information for me is um, I think I've been very front body focused and you Mm -hmm. give a lot of attention to the back body and the back of the chakra system, which is something like, well, I'll also say as another issue, um, you mentioned the meditations. So each chapter, there is a meditation at the end. And then also the audio versions are available um, online um, and you give direction to those. Uh, the meditations were amazing. And I loved that it really allowed, it was very experiential and very empowering that you one feels into what is happening and then can use that to, as you just mentioned right there, like heal by unfurling the root chakra. Um, so for anyone else out there who enjoys these kinds of things, like I, I think Wendy's done a fabulous job of um, bringing this, the healing into your hands that you can do at home on your own. Um, of course you also, Wendy, are very clear to say that if there are certain things you need some assistance with a, a practitioner of some sort, a coach, a therapist, like absolutely get that support. But, um, I found your meditations to be very empowering by the way. <laughs> mm, good. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, so back to what I was saying, small digression there, sorry about the meditations, but, um, that you give a lot of attention to the back body. So I would love to hear a little bit more about why the back body needs that attention, particularly if you are an empath. Yeah. So, um, Back body is the back side of our chakra system, which I refer to as the back body, is our, it's our, our connection to our higher self, our spirit, our soul. It's going internal and introverted. It's, it, it, it's, it allows us to lean into an invisible current of what I call the waterfall of grace. The, the, the flow of life force that flows through us. By default, we are typically in our front body. And that has us, you know, in the frontal lobe of the brain, the front of the heart, the front of the, the belly, and really engaging in the world on this horizontal energetic way, meaning like a lot of energy is coming towards the front body horizontally. And that is overwhelming. And it's also in the front part of our body, our our ego consciousness, which isn't negative. It's just that, you know, our ego is how we show up in the world. But if we're only engaging in life through the front body, uh, we can get, we can overgive and lose 
energy. We can merge with people. We can lose our power. We can also absorb a lot of energy through the front body. The back body, and particularly this visualization of the waterfall of grace coming down and we lean back into it and it activates a sense of presence in the back body. What that does is that it activates our soul, our intuition, our, our higher self connection, our faith. It actually opens up our prayer channel and it counterbalances the amount of energy that we are dominant in the front body and it helps bring that energy into the back body to where we actually become more centered between the front body and back body and i add to that you know allowing that waterfall of light to come down and source the back body so that we're feeling a sense of being filled up with our own light our own divinity and then we can show up in the world in our front body from that place of being you know, intact and sourced and supported by the divine rather than using all of our humanity in the front of us to, uh, and our humanity is not bad, <laughs> we, do want, we do want that, but that sense of not over giving or losing our power through our front body. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say to this is that, you know, it's a game changer for people. When they start to engage their back body and feel that waterfall of grace, I've advised you know teachers who are up in front of classrooms with kids to do this or therapists or anyone who's in a giving role in their life is that we stay in that receiving that divine connection and that, that light through our back body that it sources us so that we can show up more whole in the world. That's one of the things I think your book does such a beautiful job of because between you talking about how you particularly do grounding, um, I know you mentioned it earlier, but that you have a very thick uh, trunk that really goes into the ground so we can receive that vibration of Mother Earth and an opening to the divine energies above, being sure that our back body is cared for. Um, it just, there's so much, now I get the, the title of the book, Becoming an Empowered Empath, it really is so empowering because you are allowing us not to just, as you say, source from our only our humanity, but tap into everything that's available to us as a spiritual being in a human body. And these were things that I just wasn't familiar with, but were very um, both healing and empowering in, in going through them in the book. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I think it's just so helpful for empaths to know what tools are available to us that we don't have to stay disempowered in our experience. Yes. And one of the things that I think many of us have run into um, as a human in, <laughs> in a human body is trauma. And I actually, I was thinking about this. You, you answered the question and going through the book, but I'm curious just to hear, just to be able to talk to you about it a little here today. So my partner um, who is very energetically sensitive, he, um, and this is public knowledge, so I'm not sharing anything that's only private to us, but he, when he was in his twenties was um, attacked um, from behind with a baseball bat. They broke his jaw. He was left unconscious. And I mean, for all they knew dead, um, it was a very traumatic experience. Um, and I have had several friends who are energy practitioners say along the way when he has come up in sessions, you know, that he's got some some rip or some tear or like a, a, a vulnerability in his energy field after having this incident. And I'm just curious, you know, I know other people out there have had 
trauma doesn't just have to be like that. Of course, it can be something that just impacts us physically, emotionally, that we can't quite handle or consciously at the time. But I love your definition of trauma. I love how you speak about it in the book. What do we need to know about potential um, uh, compromises in our energy field based on stuff that happens in a human life? Yeah, I mean, the auric field in particular, I was just talking with a student about, she had a great frame for it. She was like, it is kind of like your second skin, isn't it? Mm. And I said, yeah, it's like, you know, you have your physical skin. She's like, but that's not where you end. It's it's out here. And literally, it is another skin. And, and everything in between those 18 inches, 12 inches between mm-hmm. the outside of the aura and the body, you feel it. Um, and and it, it impacts us. And and, and so certainly with, you know, trauma in particular is, is it, it is an, there is an energetic impact to the body and that could be held in the auric field through rips or tears, things like, like that, that you just mentioned, but it's also imprinting that we hold in our chakra system. Mm. And part of it is that we, we can't go back and change the history, the action, the thing, you know, the actual experience that happened. But what we learn in in trauma healing is that through the process of repair and through the process of meeting what we needed at that time that we might not have had consciousness around or language for, when we start to give permission and give voice and give access and give nurturing and love and whatever's needed, to those older parts of us, we actually, we move out of what I might, what we can refer to as arrested development. We move out of being stuck in time in that, in that particular, you know, era or that particular piece of consciousness. And we're able to evolve, you know, and it changes our relationship to what, what happened, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change what happened, but we have, we no longer are impacted by it on, on such a deep level. Mm-hmm. And another issue that comes up um, that I hear a lot um, from folks who identify as empaths, or it's a question that gets thrown around a lot, I'm sure you get it quite a bit, is how do I stop taking on the energy of others? And I will say there is an element of responsible, like personal responsibility. When you talk about this in your book, um, I'll just read, this is a quote from the book, that our levels of emotional maturity and emotional responsibility determine whether we will simply sense other people's energy or we will absorb it. Because I think there's often this thing, I, I've heard this from other people that, oh, I'm an empath. I just take on the energy of others and I don't know what to do about it. So you... I really like your take on it. And I would love it if you wouldn't mind speaking to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So technically an empath is someone who feels the energy of other people. Overly empathic means we take that energy on. So there is a distinction. Mm. We're not empaths by default are not and people who are taken down by, by energy. Um, it's just that we end up having overly empathic experiences. So in terms of how we stop taking on the energy of others, there's a, there's sort of a, there's a shorter answer and a long, and a, like a longer, more, it's not that the answer is longer. It's that the process is longer. Okay. So the longer process is that we heal our blocks in our body. We heal our wounds. We create more space in our body for our radiance. 
and that takes time. And then in the book, I go, I walk through a lot of healing in the first, second, and third chakras. The more we tune into those power centers to see what history we're holding and emotions we're holding, and we process that energy, the more of ourself we can embody. Mm. So that takes time and that is a process. But why we're doing that in, in sort of another, I would say more maybe accessible way to work, to think about this is that our central channel, which goes from the crown of our head to our tailbone, which runs through the chakras is the center of our soul and our radiance. And when we turn to it and acknowledge it and run light through our body, that overflows with a glow inside ourselves we're, we're soul fed and that glow lights up the chakras and the power centers it, it which are power centers it illuminates our presence and we are taking up space in our body we are radiating from the center of our being and so true energetic boundaries come from our presence being deeply grounded in our lower chakras and our grounding cord in our legs and feet as well as our upper power centers and our upper body and allowing the soul to take up so much space and in our body that we are not leaving vacancies for others' energies to absorb into it. And that light, we can let it radiate beyond the skin into the auric field and let it brighten and cleanse and form the auric field. Um, one common tool is that is to put a bubble of light around us and that works well in certain situations. It's just not, it's not the deeper work. It's, it's a good management tool. It doesn't shift the deeper pattern though. So we wanna work with the radiance of our presence in our body and allow that you know, outer layer of protective light to then be in place to sort of mirror match that radiance. That makes so much sense. If we are fully embodied through, as you say, soul fed, and that is radiating out, there's not room for other people's energy to seep into the empty spaces or holes or something. So that just makes so much logical sense to me. Yeah. We shake it off. <laughs> it doesn't <Yeah>. stick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So one of the other things you address in the book um, is, you know, the period of time in which we find ourselves right now in human chronological time. Um, a lot of people look around them and they see chaos and a lot of injustice, um, specifically racial injustice is one of the topics that you also address. Um, we see people that things are just evolving at a very rapid pace. I'm curious what your thoughts are on where we are as a species. I think, you know, evolving in consciousness as we go um, and the role of the empath as we step into potentially a very new period of humanity. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really feel that part of where we are is in humanity is about a, what I'm gonna call the rise of the feminine. And I don't mean, gender. I mean, the qualities of, of community and compassion and equality and sensitivity and being in tuned with our emotions and having empathy and being able to have connected conversations and to think about other people outside of ourselves. We've really been making a paradigm shift from more of the patriarchal um, sort of system, which is 
kind of an aspect of more um, maybe like what I call in the book, the wounded masculine. We have a healthy masculine also, but the feminine has also been wounded in terms of feeling victimized and being suppressed and being oppressed. And this is, these are qualities of energy that exist inside us, but we see it mirrored out there in the world. And so as we're, as we're starting to heal the feminine by saying, okay, race matters, you know, taking responsibility matters, gender, you know, they're looking at all forms of, you know, gender and education and, you know, and, and, and civil rights and everything. We're looking at everything. This is, this is the quality of the feminine that's bringing everything to the surface and saying, we've got to, we got to deal with this. We have to take responsibility for it. That's feminine energy. Empaths in particular are leading the way because it's through the power of empathy and compassion and um, being able to identify what someone else might be sensing and feeling in the world that we are building, be- we're building better community. We are, we are coming together. We are advocating. We are making change. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, but it's happening. And I believe that as empaths start to empower themselves and become more soul strong in themselves, then we do start to impact the world and have a positive footprint here in in this consciousness evolution. Absolutely. And uh, one of the other things, I can't remember how you said it. I didn't pull a quote on it, but something, you know, empaths really there there's, we are truth tellers too, um, that we see things as they really are. So when you are an empowered empath, you bring that, that, that light of truth to the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's important for empaths to speak their truth because they've spent a lot of years navigating the unspoken. So that we speak it, it's, it's important. Yes. Well, I know we've got, I don't know, about two minutes left, Wendy. So I'll just say, you know, just for uh, information for anyone who is joining us a little late, I have um, been talking today with Wendy DeRosa. She's the author of the brand new book, Becoming an Empowered Empath. Um, She is also the founder of the School of Intuitive Studies, um, and the website is schoolofintuitivestudies.com. That's schoolofintuitivestudies.com. You know, Wendy, we've got just, like I said, a minute or two left. Is there anything we didn't cover or any message you have, you know, that you really want to make sure we emphasize today before we wrap up? The only last piece I just want to leave um, people with is, is your intuition, because so much of that is what is popping through. It needs to be seen. It's part of truth inside us, inside you. So um, listen to your gut, you know, in, in many ways, when we override it, we get ourselves in, into overly empathic experiences. So listen to what your body's saying and your intuition is saying, and just really trust that. And I will say that that was one of the things we didn't get to today, but the the four aspects of intuition, um, Wendy does a great job of really defining and um, explaining how these work and then you can identify out there really the ones that you feel the strongest. And I know, Wendy, you you are identify as all four of the ones that you mentioned, um, but I found that very helpful and how those those um, that, that intuit, intuition is tied to, again, the chakra system and whether your lower body or upper body intuitive. There's so much more. I'm sorry we didn't get to get to all of it, Wendy. <laughs> 
I know <laughs> another time. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you again for joining us. And again, the book is Becoming an Empowered Empath by Wendy DeRosa. Um, thanks everyone for joining us. And thank you, Benny in Seattle. Thank you, Jeff in Petaluma. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye.